Sounds. Everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. I have to think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Rummy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Geeky Rummy Podcast. Joining me this week is myself, your host, Mr. Ryan Parrish, and Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Hello, Ryan. And Mr. Matt Lovell returns. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Hello, both. Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, Lee is off making more videos for his newly relaunched YouTube channel, Bob the Pet Ferret, so go and check that out. And Laura is unfortunately stuck doing some work remotely from home. But you've got the three of us. I think that's more than plenty to keep you busy. Um, Matt. Which one of us is going to be Chevy Chase? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm definitely going to have to be Dan Aykroyd. I have the build for Dan Aykroyd. Well, your choices are, if you're going to do this right, you've got to be either Steve Martin, Martin Shaw, or Chevy Chase. Is that the Three Amigos? Is that, is that who they were? That was the Three Amigos, wasn't it? I thought yeah. Dan Aykroyd was in it. But he was in lots of he, other stuff. He, he might have been in it. I don't think he was one of the Amigos themselves. I'll have Steve Martin. Okay. He's Fair gone enough. fat over the last few years. So. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, who would you pick? Uh, I'll probably be Martin Shaw. I don't think I'll have the um, sort of the confidence or bravado to be the other two. So, so I, I get I get um, Chevy Chase. <laughs> That's cool. Well, Martin Shaw has an amazing range. I mean, the Merlin TV uh, short movie miniseries that they did with Sam Neill, <laughs> and he was he was the um, witches. Familiar, wasn't he, or something? Oh, that's right, he was. However, I, I get that, whereas you get, like, National Lampoon series and all the rest of it, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> Father of the Bride. Also well, with yeah, Steve well, Martin. Actually. But you, you do both have your own touring show that's going around at the moment as well. Unfortunately, <laughs> cancelled in Birmingham. Well, yeah, postponed. <laughs> I, I just get to have a guest spot on Community and that's it. Yeah. Perhaps it wasn't the best choice of three people that we could have picked. <laughs> anyway, Matt, what have you been doing to stave off the crazy isolation? Playing a lot of video games. So um, being quite nostalgic, actually, because Resident Evil 3 Remake dropped the other week. So I've been hammering that. And then what arrived today is Final Fantasy 7 Remake. So that's been my weekend sorted. Um, and with the lockdown, a lot of publishers have been giving away freebies. So um, me and a couple of friends have been downloading those and playing those. So mostly gaming is the long and short of it. <laughs> Plenty to keep you busy. I mean, I picked up the Humble Bundle, the COVID-19 bundle. And I think there was a ridiculous amount of games in it or something stupid. Yeah, and there were some really, really good ones. Yeah, I think it's still running. I shall double check for you now. Uh, no, it finished yesterday. There you go. <laughs> Perfect I'm timing. sure there'll be another one. <laughs> yeah, on time as always with our news here on Geeky Rummy. But yeah, I mean, Humble Bundle have like tons of stuff on quite frequently. So it's always worth picking it up and just subscribing to their mailing list to see what they've got coming up soon. And it's not just video games as well. I mean, they've got like learning books and music stuff and loads of other cool stuff so really good. I think they've got 
a Witchblade comics set yeah. um, up at the moment. They have a lot of good comic stuff, mostly for kind of independent publishers, Dynamite, Valiant, uh, mm-hmm. IDW. So uh, you can get a massive, I mean, I've not, I picked it up the last time it was on, but there was a huge Star Trek set yeah. a while back that was literally everything from the gold key days onwards. Um, that was really good. So it's always worth keeping. It's definitely worth subscribing to their mailing list because they've got such amazing good offers on all the time. And you are literally playing peanuts for it. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to good causes as well, um, which is all good. So if you can afford more than they're asking, it's always good to throw an extra few dollars their way. Yeah, I'm just having a quick mooch to their website at the minute. They have currently running for the next two weeks, as of date of recording, a 3D printable Dungeons and Dragons Lair Terrain set. So it's basically all the 3D print models to build your Dungeons and Dragons set up, plus lots <laughs> of books. So that must be pretty, pretty interesting, weird collection of stuff that you can get on Humble Bundle. But yeah, really check it out. And I think uh, another website, is it Green Man Gaming, does bundles as well. There's quite a few of them out there, so just go and check them out. Anyway, going back to the subject, so lots of video games. So how are you finding Resident Evil 3 compared to the Resident Evil 2 remake, Matt? I really love it. The reviews are quite polarised, but because one half say it's pretty, really good, the other half say it's not as good as Resident Evil 2 remake, and it's quite interesting because that was kind of the similar reaction to the, when it was released in 99. But I really liked it. I would, I wanted more content, but that's kind of what I wanted from Resident Evil 2 as well. I just think... Capcom are going in the right direction with the Resident Evil remakes mm-hmm. um, and just from start to finish I was hooked. Yeah, I mean it's great to see remakes, not just remastered ones where they just up the polygon count and then slap an extra tenner on the price. Absolutely, and they have they have made it with love and there's a lot of nice callbacks and expanded characters mm-hmm. in both really which for any kind of Resident Evil fan is just amazing Yeah, and I'm hoping that's the same with the Final Fantasy VII Remake I mean it's been in the works for what, 15 years now? It's been rumoured to be released because it was going to be for the PS3 then it was for the PS4 and now it's come at the very end of the PS4's lifespan yeah, absolutely. And Square Enix have like a history of doing that because the same happened for Final Fantasy fifteen. That was in development hell for about ten years yeah. and that changed the sort of focus, scope and all sorts over the years. So it's very uh, it's very typical of Square Enix. But from the ad reviews, a lot of yeah. people are saying it's fantastic and obviously it's a quarter of the entire game, so we're gonna get another three instalments. So really look forward to playing it. And then Final Fantasy VIII, of course, will be next along the list, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Keith, what have you been up to the last few days, weeks, months? It feels like six years since we last spoke, which was two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, two, those two <laughs> weeks have disappeared quite quickly. Mostly, uh, what I ended up doing, I think after we spoke last time, I kind of thought, yeah, I'm going to finish off that Micronauts set. So I was a few issues shy of a complete run of the Micronauts, an 80s comic from Marvel, which was based on a licensed toy, um, which bears no resemblance whatsoever to what was in the comics. Um, they, they were like little tiny translucent uh, action figures. Didn't they get uh, like them up? absorbed into the Transformers line at some point as well? They, they have now. They've gone into um, IDW. Um, so they ran for a long time in... Well, they didn't run for that long in the Marvel Universe, but it was written by the same guy that was doing ROM, 
at the same time so I'm a big fan of ROM Micronauts came along at the same time and it was they were using some really good artists on there people like Pat Broderick and uh, Butch Geist were, were the artists on that and Michael Golden did the first 10 to 12 issues mm-hmm. uh, and it was just a great book and I, I'd I think when I was a kid I'd read it as black and white reprints and things like um, Star Heroes and, and um, Future Tense comic and stuff so it was like little bits um, and so kind of like I had a few uh, when I had a comic collection but I kind of like thought oh, I'm going to get all of these again and reread them um, so I just filled in a couple of the gaps recently on eBay uh, a couple of sellers had got some copies up not in perfect condition but good enough to read the story through so and I think we were at Ice I think you were there when I bought um, Ice, Ian Edgington's yeah so it was 20, ice, 2018, I ice think. 2018, because Ian Edgington, yeah. uh, quite a very nice, lovely local and quite famous comic creator, brought his entire personal collection for sale, <laughs> didn't he? I, think, I yeah. think his partner had probably got to the stage of, get rid of this now, you've get filled, rid of, get rid of <laughs> filled the garage. Yeah. <laughs> and he had a complete set of Micronauts The New Voyages, which I went to at the beginning of the day. I was like, oh, this is like, oh, I can't get it. And then he'd like half the price at the end of the day yeah so i was like yeah i'll just have a whole lot so now now i've got plenty of time to read uh the full runs of uh, rum and um, micronauts which i'm quite looking forward to cool. which is quite good and i think the right. other big thing is spending far too much time doing chores in animal crossing which is kind of scary because you go people in the real world go you're going to come out and help sort the garden out and you know, paint the fence and dig up the weeds and stuff. And you go, no, no, I'm, I'm, I've got too much to do. And then you spend two or three virtual hours doing exactly the same, and digging up weeds. It, <laughs> it doesn't go down well. To describe Animal Crossing for people who haven't played it, it's busy work. The game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um yeah. It's like, it's, go it's, go and dig up fossils, plant some trees, build yeah. some tools. Go fishing. It's absolutely blown up though. Like just my entire news feeds on every social media is just all these groups just going, "Help! I need some seeds. Anyone got these seeds? I need to plant this." And it's just, it's just everyone's gone mad for it. It's brilliant. <laughs> what gets me is it was released the same day as Doom Eternal, which you expect <laughs> is the one that all the hardcore gamers would be playing. No, Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing is the hardcore game. It's, it's like when people detract from people who play like Bejeweled or Candy Crush saying they're not gamers. And it's like, yeah. they game more than you. Seriously. They'll be doing 12 to 14 hours a day just swapping swapping gems on Bejeweled. But it's, it's, quite, it's quite a therapeutic game because you can just yeah. while away a, a few hours kind of like doing stuff and then wondering why other people on your island keep giving you all the really horrible clothes. Yeah. I was like, what are you trying to say to me? Why are you giving me these horrible outfits? I remember the first time a present floated over my head and it was like, how the hell am I supposed to get that? And then I realised you need slingshot. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing at the moment that's, that's annoying me because it's Easter um, holidays is there's just thousands upon thousands of like really horrible bunny and egg-themed things. It's like, I'm, I'm never going to use these. I've got millions of them. I don't know what to do with them. Um, I'll just sell, I'll just sell them to the Nook Twins. Uh, loads of money. That's good. <laughs> Nook, Nook, Tommy, and his Echo Timmy. Yeah, Tommy and Timmy. How did they come up with these names? It's like genius. Um, but yeah, but I found an online uh, creator to create QR codes. So I've been making movie posters um, of things. So there's a few. I've got a few Star Wars movie posters up in my wall now. Nice. Um, which I've been able to do. 
um, but I haven't got the Mabel sisters yet, so I can't get all the costume codes, so I can dress up like Batman, um, which is unfortunate. Some people just play the game, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many rocks you can hit with a spade every day. You've got a cosplay, but in the Animal Crossing universe. Yeah, just just run around like, you yeah. know. It's unfortunate you can't climb the trees and perch around onto people's roofs and freak them out. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's a bit of an issue with people putting naughty images on at the minute and Nintendo is <laughs> trying to suppress them. Uh, yeah. People people in quarantine, what will, what will they do? Inappropriate content for kids' games. It's a gourd. It's not a gourd. <laughs> so, what have I been up to? So, I've watched a really good Warhammer 40,000 fan film which sounds like the most geekiest thing in the world. But it's really, really good. It's called Astartes, and it's a little mini one-minute, two-minute episode thing, and they've just released their final episode of the current one that they've done. But um, if you've got any kind of interest in the Warhammer 40K universe, really check it out. It's it's a complete fan film, but it's been made to such a standard. I think if anybody remembers the Ultramarines movie that came out, this like far surpasses it in every single way, shape and form. Oh, really, wow. really check it out. I it, think I've seen most of the episodes of that. Yeah. Um, is that the one where there's like a corridor shootout? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, so like it's just, phenomenal. Yeah, to finish it off, I think the seven minutes dropped. So basically it was the final part was the equivalent length of all the other run up parts to it. So it's really, really cool, and it, hopefully, Games Workshop might pick these guys up at some point because it is a phenomenal little fan film. I bought Mountain Blade Two Bannerlord, the other hardcore gaming experience that's came out recently. So, to explain this, this is basically a medieval life simulator. <laughs> that sounds great. So, uh, you start off with yourself on a horse, and then you have to basically go and build yourself a kingdom. You didn't have to go and woo a lady. Well, you can woo ladies in this. You can even have children in this one. So it's in early access at the moment. It's just dropped on Steam. Uh, Tailwords, a developer, are pretty much doing nightly updates for it at the minute. So people are like, it's really been an interesting one to support in early access. Uh, If you've got any kind of like love for that kind of fantasy setting, worth playing really worth playing uh it's got pretty accurate combat where it's all mouse controlled so you have like left right up down swings and parrying uh you can have battles with up to a thousand troops at once and one on yeah yeah there's multiplayer which i've not deviled into because i will get killed within 30 seconds of dropping into multiplayer but you can siege castles you can woo maidens you can uh recruit followers you can train your troops it's all very like it's basically like a management sim but with an rpg laid over the top of it it's very much a labor of love as well because i know the original mountain blade ever since that dropped it's it had like a cult following and people have just been waiting for the sequel for so many years yeah i think it's had more feature creep than any other game that i've ever heard of in development i think they've been like it's like it's not finished yet, lads. You can't have it. We're doing the weather cycle for the cheese. <laughs> I think probably the account's got to the stage of just release the damn game already, and then add all the extra bits in afterwards. But yeah, 
really, really recommend it. And loads of mods already flying around for it. So there's a really popular Napoleonic Wars mod for the original one. And I think they're working on that for this new generation. It does also mean my laptop is now old because it really struggles with anything that opens low settings. It kind of made me slightly sad. That's where I miss out when I'm, because I'm not a PC person. Yeah. Um, so I miss out on a lot of this good stuff for Steam, unless it kind of ends up being ported to Xbox or something. Yeah. I mean, Steam's going through a bit of a revival at the minute with Half Life Alex, which, again, my laptop would never be able to play. But um, they're, they're really starting to actually publish it. I think having the Epic Game Store and Good Old Games is finally encouraging them to actually do some work rather than just creating knife skins for CSGO. <laughs> different hats <laughs> um, yeah I mean Epic Game Store um, in particular they're giving away a lot of free games at the moment and all you need to do is obviously just download the client and then so games like World War Z which um, didn't really get much love when it was released because it was about a 30, 35 pound game and it's really only enjoyable when it's multiplayer but um, it was free recently and actually it's a fantastic four-player team game it's effectively like left for dead um where you you play one of three uh players and you're effectively going through mission bases holding off hordes that kind of thing um but the point is like epic games are really upping the competition and so steam yeah they're having to do a lot more i think um and it doesn't help that they dropped the ball a couple of times um with the community in terms of the steam workshop and steam green light that kind of thing which were supposed to be on the surface to help uh community developers create games and content but actually it turned more into a money spinner for steam so valve obviously had to kind of up their game i think somewhat yeah i mean they are ones that unfortunately do abandon products pretty so we had like the steam machine which was supposed to be linux box pcs which were supposed to be easily upgradable and run your steam library beautifully and then we had the steam controller which i think is probably in about six inches of dust every single version of that controller around the world it's like infinitely adaptable means that people won't bother to adapt it and they'll just plug in their xbox 360 or xbox one controller or even their dualshock Unfortunately, but uh, yeah, see see what they come up with. I mean, that World War Z game that was um, I think that's on Game Pass on mm. Xbox, and I downloaded that on a whim, kind of thinking, oh, this is worth having a look. Actually, it was really good. It was a yeah, really solid game. I was quite surprised. I didn't. I thought it was going to be a little bit of kind of shovelware kind of stuff with the license name, and actually, it was really really well constructed game. Yeah, <sighs> quite enjoyed it. I mean, on Game Pass, I've been playing. A little bit of Wolfenstein Youngblood, which you mentioned last time, Keith. And GTA Five for a bit of nostalgia. That game's coming up to quite some age now. I think it was 2013 it came yeah. out. So yeah. ne- nearing its decade. And, <laughs> and Rockstar are never going to do another GTA game by the sound of it because they make too much money off GTA Online to ever switch that off. Yeah. They just put a... Um... Power Rangers beat them up on um, Game Pass, which is you haven't got an awful lot of um, a choice in characters. Actually, it's quite it's quite a solid um, solid game. 
um, in terms of gameplay and and um, fight moves and combos and stuff. It's quite impressive. Um, so that's, for, that's quite fun. Yeah, I know for the PC Game Pass release for April, which is going to upset quite a lot of people's partners, is Football Manager 2020. So you can imagine the load that's going to be on the game's Windows servers the day that goes live with all the frustrated sports fans. are like, well, there's no sport on, so let's make some myself. Click, click, click. This is something I was kind of thinking about um, because they keep saying they keep saying they like they cancelled this game, they cancelled that game, and cancelled like you know the European Championships and whatever. I'm thinking, why not just get the players to actually play FIFA? Yeah, and, and and do it like you know have esport version of football, but with the actual players playing themselves. I think they have been be doing great. some of those for charity matches. Yeah, it's interesting you saying that. So I was going to touch on it in a minute, but so football wise, Welsh forward Gareth Bale has he's got his own esports team, and actually they've been doing a FIFA tournament for in aid of coronavirus, uh, fighting coronavirus. But also things like um, F1. Obviously, they cancelled all of the um, season, but they've instead been playing F1 2019 because that's fully a fully designed racing game with a fully designed um f1 steering wheel with all the buttons that do all the things you expect it to do so that they're effectively rescheduling races (laughs) with the f1 2019 obviously it doesn't count towards the uh the scoreboards but they're doing that instead so it is quite interesting really to see with the current situation, obviously there's loads of negatives, but there's also some very weird things to come out of it that you wouldn't have expected otherwise. Because yeah, mainstream mainstream sports are actually embracing esports more than they would have ever before. But with some of these game engines that they've got now, if you put that out on TV and told people it was an actual F1 race or an actual football game, a lot of times you'd be hard pressed. Um, to tell. It'd be mostly it's, it's the crowd of cardboard cutouts in the background that probably give it away. Yeah, I mean, we, we had the lovely um, virtual horse racing of the Grand National last weekend as well. Yeah, so I think it's improved a little bit from when I remember Sky doing virtual horse racing over late nights on their one of their betting channels. Uh, well, I remember um, TV shows in the early noughties, I think it was called like Time Commander or something, where you had a, a team of people and they would command, um, it was basically like Total War, um, so they would command an army in a famous battle, and it was all done via a simulation, and those graphics at the time, you just think, oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah. But what I was going to say is things like Bus Simulator, Train Simulator, and Flight Simulator, like yeah. they're the most ridiculous graphics I've ever seen, <laughs> you know. Because it's all image mapped, um, and yeah, you, people generally wouldn't be able to tell. I think. Yeah, there's probably some furloughed truck drivers just driving their normal routes in Euro Truck Simulator 2016 or whatever the latest version is. <laughs> I, mean, I tried playing Euro Truck Simulator, and it's more complicated than Doom. It's insane. <laughs> I, I think um, Train Simulator is the highest grossing game of all time because they've released so many expansions to it with like new new train models yeah. and new stations and all sorts. And they're all like yeah. 80 quid each. <laughs> yeah, and people go mad for it. <laughs> now it's time for our latest edition of The Pool List. As you may already know, the continuing COVID-19 crisis has had a significant impact on the comic industry. 
and the last few weeks has seen stores and publishers scrambling for a way to navigate the constantly changing waters. At the moment, most, if not all, UK comic stores are closed, with only a select few still able to offer a mail order service. New comics are not being distributed, and so we now have no new weekly comics to highlight. But that doesn't mean I haven't got any comics for you at all, because this week I have a special treat for you. Thanks to the wonders of the internet and having digital comic readers on my iPad, I'm able to bring you a look at some new self-published books. Both comics are from independent creators and you are able to support them by buying copies either digitally or in print or signing up to Patreons online. First up, we have Get Woke. The premise of the story is, imagine a world in which all conspiracy theories are true. A world of secret societies, shadow governments, aliens, monsters and the supernatural. No need to imagine too hard, that's the world you live in today. It's all real and always has been. And if such evil exists in the world, which it does, humanity is going to need a very special team of heroes to protect it from the horrors that lurk behind the curtain of our false reality. Don't believe in conspiracies? You need to get woke. Get Woke is a four-part miniseries written by Tim West, illustrated by Kevin McCulloch, with a colours by Demas Mohammed. The 40-page first issue begins this wild adventure through the bizarre world of conspiracy theories. At first glance, Get Woke might seem like an exercise in bad taste. Not-so-dead celebrities, redneck Americans, and a title that might just be a little on the nose. But behind a cover that is filled with a host of conspiracy theory references lies a story that pretty much works. John Woke is the conspiracy theory-obsessed teen who is thrown into a world that seems to confirm his worldview while on a school trip to Washington, D.C. It's not subtle, but the idea that some of the most crazy conspiracies are true makes for some funny moments. Some of the jokes miss their mark, but once the core team of covert agents, including Elvis, Princess Di, Michael Jackson and Bigfoot, are introduced and the central mystery starts to unfold, the book really hits its stride. The story is filled with well-written set pieces and each of the characters are well-defined. It's almost impossible to not see and hear Bruce Campbell reprising his Elvis from Bubba Hotep here, and I hope that was intentional. It's also kind of fun to spot all the Elvis song references scattered throughout the dialogue, with the occasional Michael Jackson one here and there. The art is solid, and I like the stylized look of the characters, each one clearly identifiable as the celebrity they are supposed to represent. Colouring is well done, although a couple of pages seem a little flat compared to others. The lettering is great. There's quite a lot of dialogue, but each page is beautifully laid out, and it's easy to follow what's going on. For a first issue, this does everything you could want from a comic. It establishes the cast of characters, sets up the central mystery, and then in its closing pages throws you a brilliantly unexpected curveball. With so many conspiracies to explore, the story could literally go anywhere, and it'll be interesting to see which theories these creators will take a pot shot at next. It's clearly not a book that will appeal to everyone, but if you like ridiculous, fun, well-told stories, then give Get Woke a chance. You can order a physical print copy of Get Woke from Danger Geek by visiting www.dangergeek.co.uk or you can buy a digital version via Comixology. And finally this week we have the first Ashcan edition of The Unthinkables. This is by Paul Hanley on story and lead character design, Ian Richardson pencils and additional designs, Julian Hoganard Burt on inks and Simon Goff colours and Thomas Maurer on letters. I'm a big fan of local comic book legend Ian Richardson. Ian is best known for his work across several major publications 
publishers, working on titles from 2000 AD, Image, Marvel UK Panini, Dark Horse, and as the cover artist for Zeotrope Entertainment across their Grim Fairy Tales, Wonderland, Evil Heroes, Spirit Hunters, Black Sable, Peekaboo, and Crown of King titles. Recently, he posted news that his latest work was full interior art for a new book called The Unthinkables, written by Paul Hanley. Paul is a freelance commercial illustrator and comics artist who's been contributing to various books for over 11 years. He's worked on properties like Godzilla, Judge Dredd, Firefly and Buckaroo Banzai, as well as a series of creator-owned titles. He's also produced a few covers for Titan Comics and designed the War Doctor's companion Cinder for the Doctor Who Legacy game. The Unthinkables is Paul's latest foray into writing his own comic and he has designed all of the lead characters. Paul is offering the very first issue of The Unthinkables as a digital download for subscribers on his Patreon page. So of course, I jumped at the chance to see page after page of Ian's incredible art. Behind a beautifully painted cover by Glenn Fabry, The Unthinkables wastes no time grabbing you by the collar and dragging you straight into the action. There's several familiar looking characters who after tackling an unseen threat, lie dismembered and floating in space. This sends the authorities out to gather together a super team like no other. This first issue sets up everything nicely, introducing its characters in fun and at times quite visceral ways. Every page is absolutely gorgeous. Paul, Ian, Julian and Simon work together in perfect harmony and have produced a comic that has the widescreen grandeur of comics like Brian Hitch's Ultimate Avengers with a brutal and gruesome tone reminiscent of The Boys. This issue grabbed my interest and I'm certainly looking forward to discover what happens next. You can get your copy of The Unthinkables by subscribing to the $5 tier of Paul Hanley's Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Paul Hanley. And now back to the main show. Right, as we broach the subject of esports in our introduction, Matt, you're going to give us a little bit of how to get into esports. because it's, it's something that I've never really touched on we've been to like insomnia in the past and seen the massive esports arenas and the egx and mcm over having esports now i think they had the splatoon tournament last time we went down so esports is becoming something basically i'll break it down to three parts and um, this is going to be a very whistle stop intro to esports so i'll include some other interesting links for anyone who's uh, interested to kind of explore the more details but esports is kind of a weird one because it's been around since the uh, mid 70s actually but it's always been underground and i think the perception of the fact that they're video games in the mainstream people still see it as a hobby but more and more over the last decade mm-hmm. actually with the expansion of uh, YouTube, Twitch, that kind of thing, video games are getting a much wider platform. And especially yeah. in the current situation, there's a lot that can benefit, which is what we talked about earlier with things like um, mainstream sports actually adopting some of the some mm-hmm. of their video game counterparts to actually keep up the entertainment. So yeah, I'll break it down into what's esports, examples of popular esports tournaments today, which mm-hmm. people can look at, and then a brief glimpse at how it formed um, and the history. So eSports stands for electronic sports and it's what it says on the tin. It's a form of competition using multiplayer video games played by professionals and watched by a live audience, usually both physically in an arena and online on streaming platforms like YouTube, Twitch, and as we're seeing more and more actual sports channels like Sky Sports, ESPN, that kind of thing. Yeah, and Mixer, I think, is Microsoft's big competitor they're trying to... Absolutely, yes. Yeah. It's Ninja's move there, I think, who's a popular Fortnite player. 
Absolutely spot on. And um, actually, Ninja's move to Mixer was a massive defining moment, I think, in online streaming because no one had really challenged Twitch previously. And Ninja was pulling in a lot of people because a lot of young generations, especially, are playing Fortnite. Esports at the moment, there's a variety of different games being played, similar to what you'd have um, in mainstream sports, football, rugby, cricket, etc., you have in esports, you have first-person shooters, you have real-time strategy games, which are top-down, commanding big big armies. Um, you have fighting, so similar to um, boxing as mainstream sport. Um, and then you also have MOBAs. MOBAs are probably the biggest esports at the moment. That stands for Multi-Online Battle Arena, and they're effectively a hybrid of real-time strategy and 5v5-based objective games. The five most popular games at the moment that are being played are Dota 2 and League of Legends. Uh, so they're mobile games. Then you've got Counter-Strike Global Offensive, Call of Duty, and Fortnite, which are FPSs. And just to kind of put it into context, in the last 30 days on Twitch, League of Legends alone was watched for 111 million hours. That is just one game. The numbers are mind-boggling. And the biggest game in tournaments, eSports is structured just the same way as most mainstream uh, sports. They have leagues, they have minor leagues, major leagues, amateur leagues, that kind of thing. The teams, or if it's, depending on the game, if it's solo players, they have boot camps, they have training regimes, they have all sorts, exactly the same as mainstream sports. Um, the biggest gaming tournaments to date are things like the League of Legends World Championships, BlizzCon, and Dota 2's The International. The International being the largest ever esports tournament, and the prize pool is $219 million last year. As part of these tournaments as well, larger sort of world championships, that kind of thing, it's not unusual for players to also receive additional awards. So the international most valuable player voted by the community will receive a BMW, that kind of thing. There really is a lot of money, a lot of attention in these tournaments now. And it's exactly the same as uh, watching a football match. You'll have people from around the world gathering to watch these players go head-to-head -head in a massive arena. And you'll also have millions of people online on streaming platforms watching live as well, both in-game, online, that kind of thing. Yeah, just to put into context, the highest earning professionals are Dota 2 players and the highest earning professional of all time is a 26-year-old uh, guy from Denmark called Notel, who's captain of one of the teams called OG, and he's worth almost seven million. Demonstrating it's not minor; it's it's a big industry. It's not jump change anymore. It's not like fifty. It's not fifty quid and a copy of a Super Mario Kart that you're going to get for winning this tournament anymore. It's, it's, it's absolutely it's, yeah. It's up there with real real sport. You know, I use the term real sports. In its loosest sense, but it's it's kind of the prize money you would expect from major, you know, red ticket events, the kind of likes of your Wimbledons and your um, Crucibles and whatnot. So it's it's big business. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's quite interesting because the, the the opinion is still polarised. Um, so there's an ongoing debate about whether esports should be in the Olympics. And there's a lot of people who are I have arguments regularly with people who are saying it's not a real sport. They're not real athletes. But actually, it mirrors 
mainstream sports um, down to the letter, whereas sort of mainstream athletes will hone their sort of physical prowess. Um, esports professionals have to own their skills, their knowledge of the games. Um, certain games, such as Dota 2 and League of Legends, they're constantly being updated with new gameplay changes, so it will be learning the heroes or champions they select. It will be learning their counters, who they're best against, their play styles, the actual game mechanics, that kind of thing. There's so much to learn. And also, it's training your critical thinking, reflexes, that kind of thing, because you are having to think, make split-second decisions that change the whole outcome of matches. There's a massive physical element of this as well. I mean, I don't know if you've seen that thing that's gone viral online. This is what a game is going to look like in 20 years, where it's some, like, cursed hobbit of a man with thick glasses (laughs) who hasn't seen the sun in about 30 years and a beer belly. But for these professional gamers because it is a profession it's a proper career choice now uh they have to keep physically fit as well as mentally fit uh, as i said free reaction times for everything else they'll be constantly in the gym training keep themselves fit keep their joints working because they're going to be sat long times at computers so they'll need to stretch keep moving i think once it breaks into kind of mainstream media as a as a present where it's presented um rather than on Twitch or Mixer or wherever it is, once you get esports being part of um, the grandstand or whatever the sports thing is, or it's on Sky or it's on BBC Sport, then it'll be taken a lot more seriously because I think there's, that's still a, a massive hurdle for, for esports to, to get over is when anybody thinks of gaming, when they say esports, it always gets tied to gaming and a lot of people still struggle to get over that um, stereotype that everybody thinks of, of, of an episode of South Park. And that's what gamers are like, and that's what um, esports players are like. And I think once you see the, you know, it's it's like it's as, it's as grandstandy as a wrestling match. If you kind of look at WWE and you see the kind of um, the way esports is presented, it is there's there's a lot of grandeur, there's a lot of showmanship, and you know players come on. And I think once once that is is given to a mainstream audience, it w- it would certainly do a lot for esports in terms of its acceptance amongst kind of the more general population yeah i mean i think we've all seen the footage of those korean starcraft ones where the these are like arenas which are probably busier than the olympics some of them how big they're getting it's interesting because esports it's only really sort of gained ground in the last decades um in the west in the west but actually in the east particularly south korea and china um south korea since the late 90s, to be honest, esports has been a big part of South Korea. They've got, as part of the Ministry of Culture, they've got a um, esports board and they regularly play uh, air matches on mainstream TV. And actually, the esports stars are regarded as celebrities for various reasons, but they just embrace it a lot more. And you are starting to see that over here, both. Um, mainstream in the media but also physically there's a lot more esports bars opening up all the time yeah. again similar to sports bars you just go in and they're playing all the latest matches they also have set up that you can go and play as well and and yeah i think the development of esports is just quite interesting because it's very much homegrown so just to go into a bit of the history the earliest known tournaments were dating back to 1980 so the biggest early tournament was atari space invaders championships back in 1980 and um, that attracted like 10,000 participants across the us to wow. play space invaders 
Esports really gained momentum in the 90s, and that was two kind of factors. One was the expansion of the internet and the sort of improvement of the internet, and one was gaming and arcades. In the 90s, effectively, Street Fighter 2, a 1991 uh, beat-em-up game, was heavily influential in this because it was one of the first sort of fighting games that allowed a second player. Normally, you would play against AI, but this allowed a second player. So in arcades, arcade owners were buying Street Fighter 2 more units than they could produce because there was such a high demand because people started going to the arcade not just to fight each other, but in local communities, especially in the US, you would have people going regularly to see um, their favourites fight each other. People who would establish themselves as the best at Street Fighter in whatever town it was. People would actually go to the arcades to watch them verse people. And this started sort of the homegrown tournaments more. So more and more people would have um, arcades, would host tournaments. You would then get regional tournaments for these kind of arcade games. That's when sort of the first leagues kind of got established. Some which are still around today, so things like Evolution Championship Series or Evo. We know that first started in 96. You also had Nintendo doing their world championships in the mid-90s as well. You still need a power glove to <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing like with Nintendo because they have they either strike strike gold or they missed it massively. You've either got you know, you've got the Switch and the Wii or you've got the Wii U and Nintendo Power Glove and the Virtual Boy. <laughs> And that was a big thing. I remember the Nintendo World Championships. There was a film called The Wizard starring lovely Fred Savage, which uh the power glove was worn by the villain in it. That that movie is actually a lot better than people give it credit for. It's a pretty decent movie. I think in the States it's been given a kind of Blu-ray remaster recently. And I'm hoping it gets yeah. over to the UK. Um, but that, that film's actually pretty good, really. Cult classic. Cult classic. Sorry to return to <laughs> No, no, I was going to say, there's, um, there's a really good sort of like documentary called The King of Kong. And it was on Netflix years ago. Oh, yes. But yeah, it yes, I have a... it, it basically kind of maps uh, Twin Galaxies, which were one of the first sort of organisations. They were established in the US, and they started logging players' scores worldwide for Donkey Kong and that kind of thing. And it just it's just documentary following these two players and their battle yeah. throughout thirty years to try and be the best Donkey Kong, and it's actually insane. Yeah, it was in, intrigue, espionage. Imagine Tiger. Is it Tiger, Tiger King? King. Which is the current Netflix. Yeah. Tiger King, but with with arcade machines. That's pretty much what this this documentary is. Shock, scandal, all sorts. On Amazon, there are one or two of these um, kind of video game history documentaries about the, the big, these big league players who put a lot of time and effort into being the best at um, what at the time were arcade games. And you know, not not playing at home. He's playing playing in arcades, which you must have must have been insane because it would have cost you a fortune to get really good at those games. It wasn't like you could just reset at home, and you were playing in yeah. playing in an arcade, which is insane. It's quite technical as well because, uh, especially with the old units, um, you would have players who would bring their own sort of like controls to tournaments. So they would be given a case at the tournament and then they would have to wire their own controls into the case because they were that used to their controls and also they didn't want like anything to happen like any drift to be on like other other units and that kind of thing they're playing so they would they would hardwire in the morning that 
their controllers. It was mental. <laughs> yeah, I know Pac-Man has a very famous kill screen, which uh, breaks the game after about 200 or so <laughs> levels. And it's kind of like people have strategies on how to reach the kill screen with the maximum amount of points available. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, so on, on the one side, you've got the, the homegrown physical sort of tournaments developing. And then um, on the other side, you have the expansion of the internet. And with that came more multiplayer games um, and also a wider network of people to be able to both play online and communicate and establish wider tournaments. Three games that were sort of pivotal in the late 90s to sort of establishing the sports scene. Two real-time strategy games, both by Blizzard, actually, Warcraft and Starcraft. Warcraft was a fantasy RTS. Starcraft was a sci-fi RTS. And Quake, which was first uh, first-person shooter. Those three combined were massive for developing the scenes. Then really over the last kind of two decades, the turn of the millennia and the 2010s, that's where esports has gained massive momentum and rapid growth. In the turn of the century, South Korea and China, like I mentioned earlier, were actually the big players because South Korea especially had in the late 90s they did a massive project to upgrade everyone's internet and it encouraged more people to play online so starcraft and warcraft became a massive thing and with that they started establishing um, their own board they started establishing their own tournaments and of course it gives the revenue and the incentive for blizzard to actually expand the games bring out more games and the kind of growth of modern esports really started in 2010. Both prize money and scale of tournaments massively shot up. And that was again attributed to, like I said earlier, League of Legends and Dota 2. Effectively, they were most influential games this period because they brought loads of people to start viewing on Twitch, on YouTube, that kind of thing. Especially on YouTube, people would not only watch the the live finals they would watch the pros play they would watch how-to guides that kind of thing so it would bring the mainstream to esports effectively and um it was in sort of this period that you got um all the major leagues starting up so you have major league gaming you have um esl and that kind of thing and it actually it just became a money spinner because also with the amount of viewership they pull in, big, big brands started to advertise. So it started off with things like energy drinks like Red Bull, Monster, that kind of thing. But now you've got the NBA, um, you've got all sorts of big, I mean, Nike, all sorts are um, plowing millions of dollars into esports to get their brands out there to reach all these people. And that's that's effectively a very quick whistle-stop tour. There's a couple of really good, I mean, obviously we've mentioned a few on Steam, is free-to-play, and that's effectively chronicling a couple of Dota 2 players. And it's obviously focused on Dota 2, but actually explores what it means to be an esports player. Effectively, all the sort of drama that comes up with it, like all the adversity, the hardships, and all the good things to go with it as well and it's absolutely fascinating and there's also quite a few uh, decent guides to introducing people to esports and where the best places are to go but really it's very much a, a passion so people will play the game they'll also watch their favorite uh, stars play the games they'll learn for them and that will help them play the game even better i mean i know dota and league of legends are both a very easy point of entry free, free to download free to play um they run on most pcs i would say 
they're not graphically intensive as such. And you can spend a lot of money on high refresh rate monitors and graphics cards to get the eke out the best of the game if you're a professional player. But uh, most of the stuff is usually cosmetic, I think, with just like skins for your characters rather than actually having an advantage through buying stuff. In in some of the esports tournaments, uh, again, League of Legends and Dota 2 are, are ideal for this. The community has a massive impact on the tournaments themselves. So um, I remember in the late 90s when um, it was one of the World Cups, sticker books were massive and everyone, we all had sticker books, we're all collecting the footballers, that kind of thing. Dota 2 has a similar thing with the international. Uh, you buy a virtual compendium and it gives you loads of stuff, gives you challenges to compete while you're, while you're playing, you level up you earn items but also there's community goals where if the community does a certain thing it unlocks content in the international every compendium bought goes towards the prize pool for the professionals and then valve match that so the community are having a direct impact on the shape of the tournaments and the outcomes of the tournaments and i think it's that community developers and organizers they're all kind of in the same boat and one can't really work without the other which i don't really think you necessarily get in a lot of mainstream sports there is very much an us and them mentality some sports like f1 it's a lot more community based um but when you get to things like football and rugby it's there is that kind of mentality uh where there's not really any sports which is quite cool i think it is a fascinating world to get into i mean so many layers and as i said it's very misunderstood I think people confuse MMOs and esports quite frequently because it's online gaming and they are completely separate worlds and people don't seem to understand that. And we actually discussed this in um, the first podcast um, I was part of where it's, it's weird, the reaction you get, because when I say to people, oh, I'm, I'm going to go see an esports tournament this weekend and they go, you watch people play video games. I'm like, but you can watch people play football like there's no real difference to it and um same with the games they go we don't get bored of seeing the same thing over and over again it's like but again any sport is repetitive you know yeah. that's that's the point you know it's the variation it's... within that game which is the interest it's how does this person play versus somebody else they'll have a completely different strategy to completely different technique absolutely yeah and um, it's got the exact same setup. Like you have, uh, you have shoutcasters who are obviously commentators. You have analysts. Um, you have presenters. You have a lot of video production and all sorts going into all of these tournaments, exactly as you would have any other mainstream sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, all of the players, they are professionals, and they're professionals because they dedicate their entire life to it. And then once they become um, past their peak they will then take other jobs within the industry they'll become analysts supporters shoutcasters they'll they'll coach new teams it's you know yeah it's a massive industry that's only rising and then things like the current situation we're in um again there is some downsides um they're losing the physical tournament and the physical revenue from the tournaments but actually unlike uh, mainstream sports largely they can still carry on online to the extent where um, the LOL World Championships started um, in February in Berlin and they had to, the venue closed halfway through the tournament so they then carried on online, you know, whereas that wouldn't happen in the Premier League or anything like that. 
No, you can't get 11 players kicking around a football inside a semi. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. And, and as I said, and it's a great way for people to get their fix of having a team, getting behind somebody and getting an interest, whereas you can't go out at the minute. You can still support somebody. You can still get involved into this completely huge online world. I mean, again... Twitch is pretty much free to download, and you can just sit there and watch streams whenever you want. Uh, same with Mixer. So Twitch is Amazon's big platform. They purchased it quite a few years ago. There is benefits if you're a Prime member. You might get free items for certain games or free games to download for yourself, but Twitch itself is free, and Mixer is free, I believe, as yeah. well. Um, yeah, get yourself interested in something other than millionaires kicking a bit of pigskin around. <laughs> Keith, do you have any questions on esports for Matt? No, it is pretty comprehensive. I think it's it's just a, a case of it, its popularity will build. I mean, it's, it's huge already, um, but I think it just needs to make that break out from the kind of virtual spaces of, of Twitch and Mixer and all the rest of it. And I, I, once a, I mean, I think um, Jinx TV, yeah, when it was available. A while back, had quite a few esports tournaments on, uh, and I think it needs it needs to make that leap to kind of um, yeah. mainstream television, really, in a way that an audience can just yeah. tune in and, and really understand it. I mean, it's not like Games Master anymore, where you get two spotty kids with cl- clutching controllers in their hands, with a with a Dominic Diamond shouting at them. If I remember. <laughs> Going back to those days. I mean, G4 TV, we had that in the UK for a little while as well. So there are there are alternative ways to watch it rather than just the internet. But the internet's probably the best place to start. But yeah. And lots and lots and lots of guides on YouTube, I believe. And again, Fortnite is probably the most still the most popular game around at the minute. I don't think Apex Legends or Overwatch has overtaken it at any point. Ooh, player base. I think it's a toss-up between League of Legends and Fortnite. Esports-wise, uh, as much as it pains me, I think it's League of Legends. <laughs> Dota 2 is the highest in production value, but I think League of Legends is the highest in viewership. Yeah, to say because there's so much we could go into. It's a massive rabbit warren. Like Dota started off as a Warcraft three mod and then became its own full-fledged thing, and then Valve bought it, and it's all. All intertwined. Oh, I can bore you all to death with <laughs> mobile history anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting field to get into. And I said, and it's not just they said Fortnite or League of Legends. There's hundreds of games out there with a competitive scene. So like Splatoon on the Switch has a proper professional league now. I mean, we saw that at MCM last year, didn't we, Keith? With they had like a full stage and there's proper shadow yeah. masters tournament going on. I think it was the UK finals that run when we were watching. Yeah, I mean um Millennium Point hosts VS Fighting, which is I think one of the largest beat 'em up tournaments uh in Europe. And um yeah, so that's like Street Fighter, I think it's like five, uh Tekken Seven, Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of tournaments for all sorts of different games. Uh, we'll put a few links to a few of them in this week's podcast links, so go and check them out. Keith, in the spirit of things to do online, offline, and where else 
which is what we're covering off this week, uh, as well as esports. Uh, you've been on the hunt for some more free comic books for our delectation. Yes, yes. I'm going to keep it to a, a fairly uh, stringent list this week, uh, rather than over- overwhelming people with with the massive content. Um, the first one I'm going to pick out is down to the fact that he's one of my favourite writers in comics at the moment. He is a guy by the name of Simon Spurrier. Um, and if you've been checking out our weekly comics roundups, um, I've been going on about The Dreaming, which he's been doing with an artist called uh, Bilquis Evely. Mm-hmm. And he's just recently started doing the um, relaunched Hellblazer, John Constantine, Constantine, depending on how you want to say it. Yeah. Um, and so he writes, he writes some really good books. And at the moment, uh, through Comixology, where all of these comics are available for free, so you can sign up, you can read them through Kindle, because Comixology is part of Amazon. Uh, he's got the first three issues of three of his series available for free. Um, and what he wants you to do is kind of read those for free and then kind of look to um, buy the trades from a physical shop at some point later down the line. Uh, and the three titles that he's got available is God Shaper. These are all through Boom Studios. Uh, so he's got the first three issues of Boom Shaper, which is himself and Jonas Goonface on art. Um, which is a really nice looking series. I think any of the Boom books really are worth checking out. Uh, the second one he's got up available is Weavers. That's with Dylan Burnett and Triona Farrell, uh, which is a nice looking series as well. And the last one he's got, which is my personal favourite out of three, and you'll know when I tell you the title, is Six Gun Gorilla. Uh, and that's by uh, Simon <laughs> with Jeff Stokely. Yeah. And you, ca- you can't beat the first cover of that. Is is a massive gorilla with two six guns. Um, so uh, I'm quite down for, for those. Um, on Comixology, I think if you... I think we'll put the link to where you can get these titles in the show notes. Yep. Um, but there's some other discounted books that Simon's involved in. So series like The Spire and Coda are also there. And you pay kind of 99p an issue on those, which are well worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big one, which I discovered uh, the other day, is 12 kind of large collections from Marvel, which are also in Comixology. Uh, and they're featuring quite big um, storylines so they've got the original uh Cree skull war uh from from ages ago which is you know we're talking books that have got like 200 300 plus pages um there's x-men versus avengers there's the civil war collection there's also the entirety of the dark side dark phoenix saga um they've also got the most recent uh first five to six issues of um, Jason Aaron's Avengers and Dan Slott's Fantastic Four, Lovely. some um, Black Widow, some more Captain America. Uh, there's Kelly Sue DeConnick's uh, kind of brilliant run of Captain Marvel, which is where they get the name the higher, further, faster um, word from. And so they're, so they're all free. So there's 12 of those, which gives you about £174 worth of comics uh, for nothing which is pretty good. Uh, and there's, with, there's thousands and thousands of pages in there, so that's more than enough to keep people uh, busy mm-hmm. on that. Um, so, yeah, those are the ones I'm going to kind of feature there. Um, and I'll put in the show notes some links yeah. to where you can find all of those relatively easily. So you can just fill your yeah. cart with those and you'll have enough to read for a long time. Yeah, not to step into your shoes as well, Keith, but um, I think Black Max Studio have announced today that they're releasing issue one of all their comics, 
available for free to download. So if you've not picked up Four Kids Walking to a Bank, which we know is one of kids Keith's favourite comics. If, you, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time and have not yet got round to Four Kids Walking to a Bank, I am shocked. Yeah. Because um, I've been talking about this book for what, three, four years? Four, I think three, four years, yeah. So really, really yeah. good. They're doing, uh, I think it's every single one of their comics, issue one is free to go pick up, have a read through, see if it takes your interest. Go and go and download Intret and Yeah, there's reach. a lot of good there's a lot of good books coming out of Black Mask. Yeah, and another one is it's not really comics focused itself, but uh, there's a website called readly.com which does virtual magazine subscriptions. I think it's eight quid a month. And what they'll do is give you access to lots and lots of different magazines. So kind of like um motorsport news, autocar, technology magazines. It's based like an all kind of everything job, but the Beano is on there. So if you've been missing your Beano fix or you want to introduce your kids to the Beano, uh, they're doing two months free till the end of this month, I believe. So yeah, really worth picking I think, up. And then you can just like get your subscription that way if you're not able to go to the shops to pick it up. Yeah, I think British comics are actually kind of in a good spot at the moment because... Uh, news agents and places like WH Smith, I think, are still open generally at the moment. Yeah. Um, so you have got a chance to get all of things like Beano, 2000 AD, mm-hmm. Judge Dread magazine, and the Core and Buster special came out yeah. this week, or this just this week, which is kind of like a celebration of all of those kind of like great comics that you would have had in the summer um, when you were kind of looking for something to read over the summer holidays. Mm -hmm. So I think if you are able to to support comics through your local news agents or WH Smiths, have a look out for those titles rather than the kind of licensed stuff with with, um, Peppa Pig on the front or whatever it is. They're they're cool. You might like those. Paw Patrol, whatever. PJ Masks. (laughs) I don't know what PJ Masks is. Um, But yeah, you should be able to pick up um, um, a few comics from your local news agents. So, yeah. Uh, well, we're looking for those. And I know 2000 and AD are changing their release schedule for 2020 due to the current situation, but they're releasing a load of stuff digitally if you can't go yeah. get it from a physical comic book shop. But uh, don't forget to save your pennies for when your local comic book store reopens as well to go and, go and yeah, film Yeah, my personal preference would be to make use of the, the free stuff and yeah. then go to a comic shop and buy all the things that you've been missing. In, in between and splurge, spend yep. a load of, of cash. I'm sure loads of people are having birthdays and stuff and they'll have birthday mm-hmm. money they can spend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go and spend all your birthday money on comics later on. Or go and check out some Patreons. You can get some commissioned artwork as well. So loads of artists will be doing commissions over the foreseeable future. So if you've got a favourite comic book artist, check out their Twitter feed, check out their Facebook group, see if they've got a Patreon. Yeah. Go and get something commissioned. Well, one of our... Um, favorite people rachel smith mm-hmm. um if you've been following us recently you will have, we've mentioned her quarantine comics that she's doing uh, on a regular basis at least one a day i don't know how she does it because yeah. they look amazing every day they've gone <laughs> for like really good um she's putting those up for sale through her her, her etsy store yeah i think, I think and yeah. then every f- week or so she's doing a large one page full color um, yeah. print as well yeah. Um, which are great, and you can pick those up for next to nothing, really, in terms of original comic art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's doing some prints of some as well, so they're, yeah. they're really worth picking up. But if you kind of look for the hashtag quarantine comics, yeah. um, you'll be able to find out more about that. Yeah, some fantastic little ones, and I think her Etsy store has her previous works on there as well, so 
Yeah, uh, if you can buy the, the rabbit and, and flimsy stuff. kitten and yeah, yeah um, wide up wrong, mm-hmm. which is a brilliant um, little collection of short stories. Hello, this is Lee here. I'm here to tell you about the recent games of the week from the last two weeks. It's a bit of a JRPG on PS4 bonanza this time around. Last week, the game of the week was Persona 5 Royal. If you follow me outside of Geeky Promi, you will know that my favourite game of the last decade was Persona 5, the latest in Atlas's critically acclaimed anime-styled RPG franchise about teens who save the world from physical embodiments of Jungian psychology, usually with an animal sidekick. Persona 5 Royal is an updated re-release of that game, with a bunch of new content. It follows on the tradition of Persona 3 FES and Persona 4 Golden, which were expanded editions of their originals with new content and new characters. Persona 5 Royal adds a new member to the Phantom Thieves group, adds a bunch of new side quests to entertain yourself with, and best of all, Morgana, your cat companion, no longer demands that you go to sleep every other night. If you missed out on the original game, I highly recommend that you pick Royal up. This week, well, I mean, it wasn't going to be anything but Final Fantasy VII Remake, was it? It's the biggest and most interesting release of the past two weeks. It's the return of a classic game with a significant glow-up. It's also the first Final Fantasy game to have gotten people pretty much universally excited since Final Fantasy X. You know the drill. Cloud, Soldier First Class, teams up with some eco-terrorists, blows up a reactor. Next thing you know, the world is under threat by a meteor as well as parasitic capitalism. Standard RPG fare, obviously. And now we get to see Cloud actually become the most beautiful girl in the room instead of just imagining it because his polygons vaguely look like a dress. Perfection indeed. And of course, if you've never played Final Fantasy VII before, all of that confused the hell out of you, and I'm sorry. It's a remake of one of the most critically acclaimed JRPGs of all time. So, if nothing else, that should sell it to you. As a summary, uh, Persona 5 Royal was made by Atlas, and Final Fantasy VII Remake was made by Square Enix, and they are both exclusive to the PS4. For other releases from the last two weeks, please go to geekybrummy.com and check out the two most recent gaming roundups where I gave a bunch of releases from the past two weeks. And with that, let's head back to the rest of the team for the rest of the show. Alright, gentlemen. I have a challenge for you. At least we haven't got to eat anything. That's that's always a plus side. Uh, we're having a virtual quiz for the moment. So what I've got here is a cards for a game called Who Am I? Okay. And there is okay. five clues per person. Um, right. The points will go down from five to four to three to two to one as I give you more and more clues. So, okay. So it's going to be a head-to-head Keith versus Matt on this one. I'm terrible at these. So I'm, picked, I'm worse. <laughs> so I've picked out some suitably geeky people. Right. So are we ready, gentlemen? Are, we, are you yeah. going to just shout it out or are you going to offer it to one person before the other? I will one clue per one answer per clue. Okay. And then first person who gets it gets the points. Cool. So the first one. First clue for five points. I am a famous cult director born in 1963. Um, Did you print these cards out yourself, or has it come out of a legitimate set? It's come out of a legitimate set here. How old is that set? Uh, About two or three years old. This is where I'm just going to sound stupid. This is why I don't like these games. David David Lynch? No, unfortunately not. Keith, have you got a guess? Or are you gonna um, reserve? 1963. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it seems a little too late for any of the cult directors I would have picked. Okay. Yeah. Right. So clue number two for four points. 
I often cameo in my own films. Wow. This doesn't get any easier <laughs> as the time goes on. Because it's not Alfred Hitchcock who who is renowned for his uh, cameos in his films. 1963 cult director. Any guesses? No. Well, I mean, no. This is going to be really embarrassing. I don't get it. Right. Third clue for three points. My films are known to be violent and non-linear. <laughs> this is just even trickier than normal. Um, <laughs> I, so they're older than me, which is fine. Well, I, I mean, think... I, I, I want to say an obvious director, but I just didn't think he... Probably because my maths is terrible, just, but I just didn't just think he'd be this old. Go for a punt. Quentin Tarantino? Yes, it is Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Three points for you, Matt. So how old does that make him, then? 50... That would make him 67. 57. 57. 57. 57. Oh, OK. So three points for Matt. The other two clues were, I got angry at Christian Guru Murphy in 2012. <laughs> and the final clue was, I am the director of Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction. Oh, I wasn't going to get it from that. <laughs> right, are we yeah, ready? he had a... I was just going to say, like, he had a really bad relationship with Ian Thurman as well, apparently. Like, yeah. in Kill Bill, he was the one, he insisted on being the one that spat on her in, like, the, the opening scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really weird. Yeah. It, I, it, remember, I remember the last time you had these cards out, Ryan, and I did abysmally. And I think I'm going to do abysmally again. <laughs> you should remember some of them, because I picked out the most geeky, appropriate ones. <sighs> All right, next one. Uh, I am a beefy American actor born in 1959. <laughs> Uh, the age is getting me terrible. Yeah, it's that. Um, John Goodman. No. No. Keith, any guess? Um, I'm going to say Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Okay. All right. Question, clue two for four points. I considered oh, okay. running as governor of New Mexico. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, I'm, 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 I'm going to just run through the list of beefy American superstars that I know. So I've done Schwarzenegger, so I'm now going to do Sylvester Stallone. No, it wasn't Sylvester Stallone. Okay. I like our different perspectives of beefy, because I just thought, does that mean they're just... <laughs> chunky. Just quite chunky. <laughs> You're going to go John Goodman. With a double C, or are they, or are they proper like... <laughs> John Goodman, John Candy. <laughs> no no, uh, no next, guess. Next clue. Okay. Next clue. For three points, I played Jim Morrison for Oliver Stone. Oh, I know who it is now. Oh, I have no idea. Go on then, Keith. It's Val Kilmer. It is Val Kilmer. Oh, okay. The other two clues were I was Iceman in Top Gun and I was Joel Schumacher's Batman. Yeah. We do not I wouldn't have really called... I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have called, described Val Kilmer as beefy. <laughs> well, he has been both. He played Batman. He was quite bustly, and that was his, that was the suit. That's the suit was beefy. <laughs> Val Kilmer was not beefy, um, and Val Kilmer has been beefy in other ways since. <laughs> <laughs> All right, three points each. Then 
bit of a tight to start off. Right. Question number three. Uh, I am a stage and film actor. That doesn't really narrow the list. Doesn't no. Doesn't really narrow down the list that much. I know. Um, I'm going to go for an obvious Ian McKellen. Fortunately, not Keith. See, I'm glad that that Matt went with Ian because I'm going to go with his his regular uh, co-star. I'm going to go with Sir Patrick Stewart. No, neither of those gentlemen. Yeah. Clue number two for four points. I am often cast as an intellectual. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay, I'm just going to say another person here that just... Sir Kenneth Branagh. No. No. Matt, any guess? Um, No. Next question. Next clue, sorry. Next clue. Three points. I was in The Incredible Hulk. Oh. Silence. Well, it can it can be one of two people. Keith reading for the entire cast of the Incredible Hulk. There the, in his the, head. the one, the one that I would say. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought he was cast as intellectuals often. Um, I'm going so with I'm, what's I'm on the go card. With, I'm going to go with the other. I'm going to go with the other one. I'm going to say Tim Roth. No. Okay. I'll get the next one then. <laughs> um, okay, so it makes more sense. Edward Norton. No. No. Okay. Right. For two points, clue number four, I am the star of Kiss of the Spider Woman. <laughs> Our faces both. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know who it is now. Go on. It's William Hurt. It is William Hurt, yes. Two <laughs> points for yeah. Keith. Uh, the final clue for one point would have been I was in A History of Violence and Robin Hood. Which everybody forgets he was in Robin Hood as well. Yeah. Right. Wow. I'm doing better than normal here. Right. <laughs> Two more. Two more. Still got all the chances to get back into this one. <laughs> It's all to play for. Right. I was born in Washington in 1948. That's Again a lot dates. of people, Ryan. <laughs> Again with the dates. No? No. Right, for four points, my middle name is Leroy. Not Jenkins. No guesses on four points? No. no. That's, that's like 48 million people still. All right. For three points, I've been in over 100 movies. Ooh. You're not making it any easier. No. No clue. Matt? Um, no. Keep going. One more. Close. For two points, I frequently collaborate with Quentin Tarantino. Oh, I know who it is now. Go on, first person. First person. Samuel. Al Jackson. Yes. Two points to Keith. Yeah. Oh, of course. Samuel yeah. Jackson. Leroy was the big clue there. L. I, I, 
I never knew his his middle name was Leroy. <laughs> Samuel Leroy Jenkins Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and the final clue would have been I am Nick Fury. Oh, uh, okay. So David Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, if you have the opportunity to see Samuel L. Jackson's uh, Stay at Home video, yes. I I'd, I'd say watch that. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's almost as good as his audiobook for a certain children's book, which was uh, full of expletives. Yeah, I think it had the same word in the title yeah. that's in this the Stay at, the stay at Home. Yeah. Um, stay the yeah. blank at home. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever read Go the Blank to Sleep, Matt? Yeah. No. It's, it's an audiobook that I think it was free for a while. It's worth checking out. Yeah, I think it was It was available as a free download at some point. Yeah. I don't think that's how I got, I got hold of it. Yeah, It's it's just genius. His voice. <laughs> that man that man can say those words and it's... Um, yeah, it's poetry. Yeah, it's brilliant. All right. Okay, I might throw a bonus question into this because Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt needs to get the top answer. Oh, otherwise, don't do the sympathy thing. Don't do the sympathy. No, it's fine. <laughs> you sure? Yeah, no, it's fine. Okay. I was born in 1901. It's not Dame no. Maggie Smith, by the way. <laughs> no. My wife is li- my wife was Lillian, and I had two daughters. Nope. No. Nope. I died Sorry. in 1966, but my name is still used frequently. No. no. Any guesses? No. You could still throw out a name. Uh, name used frequently. I don't know. Alan Smithy? No. Matt, no, any I guess? No um, I can't remember his first name. Um, it's not. It's, 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 it's a complete wild guess, but something like, like um, Harry Selfridges, like something, one of those kind of like store names or brand names or something. Good guess, but no, I'm afraid. All right. <laughs> um, for two points. I am a prominent figure in animation. Animation. Oh, no. Um, no. I'm going to let Matt get this. So it's not Walt Disney, is it? It is Walt Disney. Two points. Okay. Good guess, Matt. The final <laughs> clue was I created Mickey Mouse. Okay. Right, we'll have one more go. Because the scoring's pretty tight here. The scoring's pretty tight. Right. I am a well known film director. Nope, no, we're going in at five I'm points. Just, okay, let's just say a name. Steven Spielberg. No. Okay. Matt? George Lucas. No. It said world famous famous director. Yes. Um, For four points, <laughs> I'm associated with science fiction. Brilliant. Just, just so it just so it narrows it down to just so few people that you could think of. Any guesses? Um, Ridley Scott. It is Ridley Scott, Matt. Four points. Hey, <laughs> how many? How many science fiction films has Ridley Scott made? Let's count them on one hand. Go on then. Blade Runner. Yep. Aliens. Yep. That's literally it. 
they're, they're both Prometheus. Prometheus. No, Prometheus. <laughs> you said classic director. You're not picking things. No, I said well-known. I said well-known film director. Oh, there was no well classic known. mention okay. in that. The other well three clues. How bad those last two Alien movies were. The others... Taking completely the concept of what made Alien good and ruining it. Right. It's the, like it's terrible. The last three clues, after Keith has his rant about Ridley Scott, uh, were <laughs> I directed Fame for Lady Gaga, <laughs> which I didn't know. Uh, yep. My brother is called Tony. Well, was called Tony. Um, Tony Scott, who, who in some, who you could say, was actually a better director. <laughs> and, and if I, you don't believe me, go and check out some of Tony Scott's films. Yeah, and I directed Alien and Blade Runner was the final clue. Yeah, he also directed the 1984 release video for the Apple Macintosh, which was based on Big Brother. Yes, the <laughs> hammer going through the big screen at the end. Yeah. He used to direct a load of videos for TV. He was a prominent advert um, director before he broke out into films. And he made The Duelists mm-hmm. as well, which was his first feature film, which is worth checking out. Not science oh, well. fiction, but it's a good movie. Right. Are we ready for the scores? Yes. I'm, I'm I'll insert a roll. Matt peaked it with, uh, with that last <laughs> answer. Keith with... The Ridley Scott bombshell. Yeah. Keith yeah. with seven points. You came in second. And Matt, with nine points, you came in first. Oh, underdog. I, was, I thought I was three, doing so three, well there. Three each. It's very tight. It's a good game. Especially considering a lot of the clues were, this person was alive in 1864. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the five-point questions are a bit <laughs> random. Um, have you ever seen Only Connect? It reminds me of yes. that. Yes, yeah. Where... You just the first. I mean, I don't really get it anyway. But the first clue, you're like, what? I feel only connect has only been invented so that they can like spread out the the savaging of geeks between that and university challenge because they couldn't cram it into one show. Is is that show just filmed in exactly the same studio as Eggheads? Because I can't tell what the difference is between that and only connect. What's I just don't get what's going on. Jeremy Vine is your difference. Uh, Is that what it is? Yeah. I I must admit, the only quiz show I watch nowadays is QI, for some reason. I don't know why I still watch that, but I don't watch many quiz shows. It is quite interesting to watch. It is good. It's not as good as Taskmaster. That's my favourite. I love love a bit of Taskmaster. Which is moving to Channel 4, if you're not aware. Yeah. Um, The more... Greg Davis gets exposed to the world, I think, the better. Not exposed <laughs> in the way that he's had photographs taken of him, but people to know. Um, but have either of you seen a show called Man Down? Yes. Um, yeah, Greg Davis was, was the star of that, but they, when he first started, they had to cast... Uh, Rick Mail is his dad. Yeah. Rick Mail is his dad, which was the most perfect bit of casting I've ever seen. It was brilliant. It was an absolute work. It was of basically like Greg um, Davis is just like an elongated Rick Mail. Yeah, yeah, and that's well, so funny because he, he said that was his like major inspiration, isn't it? Rick yeah. Mail is his like hero. Yeah, and it had Bridget McCluskey from Grange Hill as his mom. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got to be in your fifties to to know who who that was. But yeah, it's a work of genius. Man down, brilliant show. But yeah, well done, Matt. Congratulations. Well, yes. well deserved win. 
Thank you very much. Unexpected. I knew he'd do it for me one day. <laughs> after, I, after I gave him a savage backlash in when he said some cobblers about Alien um, a while back. So you've got to humanise the alien. No, Ridley, the, the, the clue is in the name, Alien. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just look up what Alien, the, the definition of Alien is. And that's what, just stop making it human and having Michael Fassbender playing the flute. What are you doing? Oh, Alien Covenant was such a, such a terrible movie. Such an elongated, terrible movie. But um, the, the the new one is supposed to start off at the end of Aliens, isn't it? It picks up at the end of Aliens. So oh, well, there's a new gonna, one coming out. They're going to yeah. do a Terminator Dark Fate and just ignore all the previous movies. Yeah. But I'm not sure whether that's actually going to happen, because I think the last that thing... That, I think what the scuttlebutt was was that Neil Blokamp, who was responsible for District 9 and yep. Chappie, was going to do that. He was going to take over um, the he, Aliens franchise. Was the Alien do... going to have a South African accent? <laughs> Probably. But the idea was that they would bring back uh, Hicks and Newt and um, Ripley and, yeah. and carry on the story from there. But I think that all just fell apart after a while. Yeah, uh, maybe okay. they couldn't mo-cap Charlotte Copley properly. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Um, I think if you really want to kind of go down that uh, everything from Alien 3 on didn't happen is some of the early Dark Horse books that they put out. Um, the, mm-hmm. the Dark, but Dark Horse comics did, had the license for both Aliens, Robocop and Predator yeah. back in the kind of mid-80s. And they put out some really brilliant um, continuations of those stories, um, I, mostly I, better than most yeah. of the films that followed. I'm still waiting for the Wooden Monk Planet version of Alien 3, which was the original script treatment. <laughs> the Vincent Ward yeah. one, I think that was, the guy who did the, the yeah. Navigator. Yeah, <laughs> I think Dark Horse have done recently the, a comic book adaptation of the William Gibson. Yes. William well, no, it Gibson was William Gibson script. who did the um, Space Monks, I believe. No, I think, I think, that's, uh, I think it was Vincent Ward who I'll did the, the Wooden Planet one. Yeah, the William Gibson one is a slightly different take, and I think it all gets mixed together. There was a whole period around Alien Three where lots of different things were happening, and some some things made it into the script and some didn't. Almost but... as bad as Jardadowski's Dune, but let's not get into that one today. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, who is it that's doing the new one now? Um, uh, him who did Dennis Arrival. Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Yeah, Dennis yeah. Villeneuve, which could be okay. Could be okay. I kind of have a love for the. Kind of eighties David Lynch one, stinging and it's just kind of nuts. That's like three minutes of that film. <laughs> there's, there's lots more stuff going on. It, in that. It's, it's the really pivotal cool. scene, Keith. Sting in a nappy, <laughs> <laughs> and Patrick Stewart with hair, which you can't get over. Yeah, I kind of love that movie. Really, I wish I could have. Uh, I, I could, there's a director's cut, I think, that I'd really like to see, but. Um, yeah, Agent Dale Cooper. That's that's good. I like that movie. Thank you for joining us on the Keith Bloomfield rants about Ridley Scott Hour today. <laughs> Any time, Ridley. You, me, car park at the back of Sainsbury's. Keith, where can we find you online? <laughs> you can find me uh, sending be in, a, in a flame war with Ridley Scott on Twitter at hardbook underscore hotel. Uh, and without the without the underscore, pretty much everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And work wise, um, work wise at the moment, furloughed, 
um, but you can check out some stuff. There's some of our videos online if you search for Real Access. Yes, I believe R double E L. Yeah, I believe you just popped up a documentary of your short film series that you made recently. Yes, a, a Spanish filmmaker joined us on the making of Wetlands a couple of well a year, yeah now. About a year, um, yeah. Made a made a made a behind the scenes film which is um, now now online for people to see. Uh, it was hidden. Um, but I think it's been made publicly available now, so people can see that now that the cast and crew have seen it. Um, so yeah, so check that out. See me looking like I remotely look, know what I'm doing. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Where can we find you online? Um, I'll be lurking on Twitter with Mr. Matt Lovell, um, or taking quarantine selfies on Instagram with <laughs> Matchstick <laughs> underscore Matt. <laughs> And for work, you can find when it's reopened the beautiful um, Millennium Point. Yeah, for work, um, you can mostly find content at Millennium Points or follow me on LinkedIn, which is Matt Lovell. And you can find me growing voluminous amounts of hair currently because <laughs> I should have really had a haircut before all this kicked in. But uh, otherwise, on Brubby Gourmand, shouting about Greg Wallace usually. And how that man is irrelevant to the entire MasterChef process. When uh, you uh, have a haircut, you could send what comes off to Greg. <laughs> I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Well, considering he was wearing a schoolboy's uniform yesterday on the on the last episode of MasterChef before this, he might want to have a week to match. But uh, otherwise, at Ryan Parish, and don't forget you can find us all at GeekyBrimmy at geekybrimmy.com on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, at Geeky Goings On, our sister account for what's going on in the local area, or what's going to be rescheduled in your in the local area, more likely. And don't forget to check out Twitter, where we, as a team, post lots of interesting stuff over a week. But for now, that's it. So, bye, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> don't forget to wash your hands. <laughs> so, bye. All. Remain indoors. <laughs> or in, as Samuel Jackson would tell you stay indoors mother <laughs> <laughs>